This is a free download from Delancey Eden Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Eden Church building at the Banks St. Samson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelan.co.uk. It's just great to be here today. It's great to be with you guys. And it's great to come and share. And, um... I was listening to a song the other day. But it said, it's a song that says, it's a great song. Isn't it? I think it's going to be my next week. Sometimes I stand up in front of my, um, my students at school in, in, in particular classes that I really like. And, um, <laughs> no, in all my classes, uh, I stand up and say, oh, it's great to have you here today, guys. I really just enjoy being with you. Um, you're a great class. And it's really great to be here with you guys today. Because look at the person next to you. Aren't they amazing? No comment? Okay. <laughs> Let's brush over that. It is. It's good to be here today, isn't it? And uh, to hear God's word. As you all know, I um, went to India in the summer and uh, I spent a couple of weeks out there. And um, India, as you all know, has got um, a high population of people who, who uh, are in, in, into Buddhism and Hinduism and, and uh, the different religions there. And um, it was, I was surrounded by Buddhism whilst I was there, and although that's not the religion I follow, and don't worry, I'm not going to convert anytime soon yet, um, but uh, I found something that was written by the Dalai Lama, and um, it was, it's an amazing little quote, and um, I've got that with me now, and he says some amazing stuff, doesn't he? And um, some really good inspirational things, and I wanted to read that to you today. Uh, it's about the word compassion, about what compassion is. And uh, it said this, it said, usually our concept of compassion or love refers to the feeling of closeness we have with our friends and loved ones. Sometimes compassion also carries a sense of pity. This is wrong. Any love or compassion which entails looking down on the other is not genuine compassion. To be genuine, compassion must be based on respect for the other. And on the realisation that others have the right to be happy and overcome suffering just as much as you. On this basis, since you can see that others are suffering, you develop a genuine sense of concern for them. And I thought that was amazing because sometimes I know myself that my compassion can be one of looking with a sense of pity sometimes on people's situations and wishing that it was different for them. But actually, compassion is this thing of looking at people who are suffering and saying, no, they have exactly the same right as every one of us to be living just as happy and just as complete and fulfilled lives as we do here. That's what compassion really is, isn't it? At the heart of it, it's this sense of knowing that we are all equal. We are all equal. If I mention the name William Wilberforce to you, I'm sure that conjures up an image um, and you might have the picture of him in your, in your mind. But if you don't have the picture, you will probably have certain words that come into your mind when you hear that name. Because here is a man who was courageous, a man that dedicated himself 
to trying to abolish slavery in Britain. He was determined. He devoted 53 years of his life to that cause, to try and end slavery. And it was a success just three days before he passed away. Um, the abolition of slavery happened in Britain. August 1833, the British Parliament took that final step to abolish slavery in Britain. And on that night that William Wilberforce passed away and died, it was the, the supporters in the Houses of Commons that were passing that act. 1927, worldwide, we decided to abolish slavery in 1927. It says this, the International Slavery Convention in Article 2 requires member states to take necessary steps to bring about progressively and as soon as possible the complete abolition of slavery in all its forms. That was in 1927. And as David just shared about the Philippines and I'll be sharing later, 80, over 80 years later, still people are enslaved today. Actually, worse than it's probably ever been. The, the conservative estimate is about 27 million. Human trafficking, slavery is on the increase, and we know that too well. We know that it is the second most profitable business worldwide. Human trafficking, for all sorts of different reasons, happens, doesn't it? Slavery in um, child brides, sweatshops, the sale of human organs, sexual exploitation, begging, all sorts of different things happen and it's still going on today. And I wonder whether as, as the church we can be part of trying to really bring a completion to that 1927 act that put forward to end worldwide slavery. If we could do something David said, you can't do everything, you can't help everyone, but you can help individuals and try our best to eradicate this problem. And we might ask that question, well, why us? Well, basically, because it's maybe a human decent thing to do. Just that general idea. But even more so for us, because we worship God. And we follow a God whose heart is always for the broken and the needy and the vulnerable and is a God who is all about justice. In Luke chapter 4, verses 17 to 18, if you've got your Bibles, then you can turn to that. I will be jumping around the Bible today, so this will test your uh, where you know where things are. I've been trying my best. You know, as a pastor, I should know this, and I know you'll say to me, I can't believe you, you don't, but please don't judge me. But as a pastor, I struggle to remember the order of the books of the Bible. I'm sorry. I, I, we didn't have to do that test at Bible College. So I've been doing my best recently to try and memorize the order of the books of the Bible. I've been going through them, and uh, I've set up that little challenge for myself, because I always sweat when I'm in church and I can't find the book. And people will be looking at me thinking, you don't even know where that book is? That's why we've got a contents page, isn't it? So I'm going to be jumping around the Bible, but there's no shame in, in not knowing where the book is. Don't worry about it. Okay, Luke chapter 4, verse 17 to 18. This is when Jesus is unrolling the scrolls. And uh, he says this, Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. 
Jesus' words read in the synagogue as he announces the beginning of his ministry, using the words of Isaiah the prophet. He identifies himself as the servant of the Lord who would bring justice to the world. And people know, don't they, that Jesus came to bring forgiveness and grace, but sometimes less well-known is the biblical teaching that actually a true experience of the grace of Jesus Christ, a real authentic experience of that grace, will actually motivate us, men and women, to seek justice in the world. That's what it's about. To actually encounter the grace of Jesus when we fully grasp what that is for our lives, it will motivate us to seek justice in the world. In Micah 6, verse 8, there's this lovely verse, and I think if we had no other part of the Bible, if we just had this alone, this would change the world. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? An amazing verse. Recently on Facebook, I don't know whether you're on Facebook, there was somebody in our church who, who wrote something about um, purpose and destiny and, and dreams, about us having purpose, destiny and dreams. And I smiled because it's something that I've held to for a while, but sometimes we can get so caught up in what's our purpose, destiny and what's our dream when actually it's here of all that we need to be doing to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. Sometimes we get so caught up in what's my purpose and destiny when we fail to see the really important thing. And here it is in Micah laid out, a clear summary of how God wants us to live, to walk humbly with him. What does that mean, to walk humbly with God? Well, it means to know him intimately and to know what God desires and what God loves, to walk closely and humbly with him. And what is that? What does that consist of? What is it that is God's heart desire and love, it is to do justice and to love mercy. And at a first glance, those two things can um, seem different, but actually they're not that different. Because if we look at the Hebrew word of mercy, and it's uh, hesed, I think I said that right, I'm hoping I have, it means God's unconditional grace and compassion. That word mercy, hesed, unconditional grace and compassion. And the word for justice, the Hebrew word mishpat, means an emphasis on the action of actually doing something, going and doing something. So we have the action and then we have the kind of the motive. So to walk with God humbly means then we do justice out of merciful love out of unconditional grace and compassion. That's what it's about, walking humbly with God in all areas of our life. And that can be a real challenge because in all areas of our lives, it doesn't just mean giving worldwide or about standing up for people in poverty or trafficking, but close to home as well, in our workplaces, in our families, doing justice in what we buy and what we eat and everything, its whole life. And I find that quite a big challenge to actually think and stop 
Is what I'm buying, is what I'm doing, are the choices and decisions I'm making, are they just? Or do they affect somebody further down the line who's being treated badly? It's everything. The word mishpat uh, is used over 200 times in the Hebrew Old Testament, meaning to treat people fairly, to treat people rightly, and to give people back their rights, just as we believe that we deserve, so they deserve it too. Mishpat, justice for society. According to the Bible, it's evaluated by how we treat the groups of people in our society. Zechariah 7, 10 to 11 says this, this is what the Lord Almighty says, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another, do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the immigrant or the poor. Now these categories of people were relevant for that day and they're relevant for our day too, but we can add to that. We can add different categories of the, the vulnerable and the broken and, the, and, and the, the trafficked or, you know, whatever it is, the abused. These are relevant for them. We've got other people groups as well that are relevant for us today. Any neglect shown to the needs of people such as these is, ju- is not just merely a, a lack of charity and mercy. Actually here, it's a violation of justice, of mishpat, it's a violation because God loves and defends those who have the least economic and social power. And I guess that's what we should do too. It's about doing justice. Why should we do something about slavery, about trafficking? Why should we be concerned about vulnerable people, about the world poverty, about people's rights? Because God's concerned about them. And we're God's people, and we follow his example. In Psalm 146, sorry, I did say to you I was jumping about a little bit. Psalm 146, verses 7 to 9, it says this, He executes justice, or mishpat is the Hebrew word, for the oppressed, and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free, and the Lord gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves those who live justly. The Lord watches over the immigrant and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. And and earlier in Deuteronomy 10, it says, The Lord your God defends the cause, the mishpat of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the immigrant, gives them food and clothing. You know what I think is so, so interesting in this, so significant, is how God is introduced to us. God is introduced to us as a defender of the vulnerable. This is so highly significant. We've got to think when we're reading the Bible, it was written for a purpose, it was written for an audience, and the writers of the Bible wanted us to see things. They wanted us to see key significant points. And here we have God who is introduced as a defender of the vulnerable. Not the creator of the world, not the mighty king, not the God who heals the God who provides, the God who blesses, the God who anoints, but God, the defender of the vulnerable. That's how he's introduced. You know, if I introduce myself, I would say to you, I'm Nicola Guplo, and I work at the grammar school, and I minister here at Delancey. That's probably what I would say as a general introduction to people who ask who I am. You would probably maybe do something similar, but I'm lots of other things as well. I'm more than that, hopefully. I do like doing other things, and there are other aspects to who I am, but I don't share everything. I give you the main thing that I am. 
because I spend most of my time teaching and being here. So I'd introduce myself in that way. So how significant is it that the writers of the Bible introduced God as the defender of the vulnerable? Because it's the most important thing. It's the most significant thing. And I sometimes wonder whether we think of God sometimes a little bit too much of God as our provider, God as our giver, God as our healer. And these things which God is, God is those things, amazing things. But he's also the defender of the vulnerable. And we've been called to also be the defender of the vulnerable because we follow God. It's so significant that he identifies himself with the powerless and he takes up their cause. And what was even more significant was see the people of this day, they were used to all the gods. They had lots of gods. And the ancient gods that they believed in aligned themselves always with the elite in society. And here the writers are saying, look, this God, our God, it's not with the elite of society. He's a defender of the vulnerable. He's on the side of the poor and the needy and the broken. And he's identifying himself with the powerless. A complete different mindset for the people to grab a hold of and to grasp. That's why they couldn't accept Jesus when he came. People who are downtrodden, people who are suffering abusive power, usually are people who didn't have much power to begin with. And God gives those particular attention and he holds them close to his heart. It says in Proverbs 31, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. If God's character includes zeal and justice that leads him to this place of having tender love for these people, then what should we be like? What should we look like? I think we should resemble something similar and be passionate about the weak and the vulnerable too. There's this guy who I teach about at school. He's a philosopher. He's called Peter Singer. You may have heard of him before. He's got an organization called The Life That You Can Save. He's an amazing guy. He's one of these people that um, I really look up to and respect. And um, he's becoming a little bit of a hero of mine as I find out more about him. Anyway, you can go on the website and you can find um, his, uh, his charity. It's The Life You Can Save. And what he's trying to get people to do is pledge to give part of their income to help end world poverty. And this is what it says on on his mission statement. The life that you can save is a movement of people fighting extreme poverty. We hold that an ethical life involves using some of our wealth and resources to save and improve the lives of those less fortunate than us. For this reason, we spread knowledge of what all of us can do to reduce poverty and we encourage people to publicly pledge a percentage of their income to highly effective aid organisations. If we could easily save the life of a child, we would. For example... If we saw a child in danger of drowning in a shallow pond and all we had to do to save the child was wade into the pond, pull him out, we would do so. The fact that we'd get wet or ruin our good suit doesn't really count when it comes to saving a life. UNICEF estimates that 19,000 children every day die from preventable poverty-related causes. Yet at the same time, almost a billion people live very comfortable lives with money to spare for many things that are not at all necessary. And he poses this question, 
When did you last spend money on something to drink when drinkable water was available for nothing? Quite a challenge to us. And I look at that and I think, wow, there's an amazing guy who's got an amazing organisation. But he's atheist. And he's not religious. And it's not a religious organisation. But it's an organisation set up to do something. If the world is so concerned and doing so much, then we too, as a church, should be. And I know we are. I know you are. And that's why I'm so pleased to be part of this church. But he says in, in, in one of his interviews, he says, um, giving or not giving is as an important standard as something like do not lie or do not steal, but sometimes we don't see it in the same light. An amazing thing. If he can do that and he does that, then how much more as God's people should we be involved in these sorts of things, in this kind of giving, in this standing up for justice? Now, we're a step ahead, really, because if you go on that site, you, have to ta- you can put in your income. It does a little calculation of how much you should give to pledge for the year. And mine came up as 2%. I thought, oh, wow, we're ahead of the game. We're 10% in ours, you know? So it's okay. But I can see his point he's making, because a lot of people outside the church maybe don't think that mindset like we have, that, of that 10%, that tithe. But how much more as God's people should we stand up and do something? And God injects his concern for justice into the heart of Israel's worship and community life. We only have to look at it in Deuteronomy. uh, It says, Cursed be anyone who withholds the justice due to the immigrants and fatherless and the widow. And in Jeremiah it says, This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the immigrant, the fatherless or the widow. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. You see, Israel was charged to create a culture of social justice. That's what God said to them, to give to the poor and the vulnerable and protect them. It was the way that the nation could reveal God's glory. It was the way to show and demonstrate who God was to other people. If we want people to see God and to glorify him and to see his beauty, then they'll see it through what we do. Unfortunately, they don't see us gathered here on a Sunday morning worshipping God, do they? But they will see us standing up for justice. When we do something like that sale for the ladies, sorry men, I know you couldn't attend that, I know you wanted to get your nails painted, but something like that. And I was having a conversation with my friend just yesterday about that, that event that we put on to raise money for the Freedom Project. And she was just recalling a bit and saying, it was really nice, that event that you did. It was great. I loved getting those little sweets as we came in the door. She saw that. She doesn't see this. But when we stand up and we show that we're standing up for a cause, for justice, it honours God. And people can see the glory of God and they can see the beauty of God. When we're at work, in our homes, in our social life, and we stand up for justice and what is right and defend the vulnerable and the weak in our workplace... People see it, and it honours God. If we dishonour the poor, we insult God. When we're generous to the, God, to the poor, we honour him. It says that in Proverbs 14. If we don't respond to the cries of the poor, we hide God from the world, and they can't see him. If we pour ourselves into the vulnerable, then the world will take notice and see God. And that's what's important, isn't it? 
We want people saved. We want salvation. Ministering to people's needs helps that. I think that's the best evangelistic tool we have to go and actually do something. And sometimes, as Christians, we can get so concerned with other stuff. And I'm not preaching a message today to make us more giving or make us more loving or do more in that sense because lots of us do already give over and above and do so much. But sometimes, maybe we get so het up with things of private morality and we say, oh, I can't believe that person's done that or this or they failed in that way about observing the, the, the laws of purity and these sorts of things of personal righteousness instead about living out the commandment of justice, about giving, about loving, about being merciful and speaking up for those who can't speak for themselves. I don't know if you're like me, but when I read the word righteousness in the Bible, I've always attributed that righteousness to my own personal, um, private morality and how good I am, really, in that sense. But interestingly, I found this the other day, that the Hebrew word... gone a bit Hebrew, haven't I? Um, the Hebrew word for righteousness can be translated as being just. About being just. It's tzedakah. It refers to right relationships. It can be defined as those right with God and therefore committed to putting right all other relationships in life. So biblical righteousness is inevitably social as well. And so when I've read that word and thought it's about my own private morality, about you know whether I'm ticking all the right boxes, how good I am, am I living a sinless life, these sorts of things, it's far more than that. It's far more than that. It refers to our day-to-day living with people, conducting our relationships in family and in society with fairness, with generosity, with equality. So it's not surprising that in the Bible, so often it says about justice and righteousness. Like together, justice and righteousness. Mishpat and Sadaka, together. It's about recognizing the heartbeat of God. And the heartbeat of God is always for other people. And when will we stop getting angry about the unimportant things and start getting angry about the really important things? about injustice in the world, unfairness, abuse, slavery, poverty, inequality. I don't want to hear, and this might be a bit controversial, but I don't really want to hear the church standing up and being all vocal and angry about homosexuality laws or age of consent or these sorts of things, unless unless we're being vocal about things like poverty, about abuse, about trafficking. Because sometimes the world looks at the church and all it sees is us on a moral high ground, being angry about certain things. And we should take a stand against those things. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But not to the detriment of not standing up for inequality in our world. Because what does that say to the world? That we're only bothered about things to do with private morality. Yes, we should be bothered about those things. But it should be coupled with speaking up for those who cannot speak for themselves. That's what it's about. That's God's heartbeat. 
He's a defender of the vulnerable. And every time in the Bible when you see God getting angry, it's a righteous anger against people who misused and abused and exploited the downtrodden and the broken and the vulnerable. And we need to come back to that. That what really matters is about doing justice and about standing up for other people. And the way that we can do that, and I just, I know I'm going on, but I've just got a few more minutes because I want to share with you about the Freedom Project. And the Freedom Project is a project by Elin Missions, and it's been set up to try and help rescue men and women and children from trafficking. And one of the places it's working in is Cambodia. And Cambodia suffers greatly with the trafficking problem. In 2006, there was a statistic that said 30,000 children were caught up in, in sexual uh, exploitation. That's 2006. They haven't bothered to do any more data since because they just think the increase will be so much. And so Elam is, is moving into this area to try and do something. There's many, many reasons why trafficking is happening in that place. Poverty, lack of education, lack of employment, the list could go on. Apparently, a third of Cambodians live on less than $1 a day, so that's obviously going to contribute to the problem of slavery and trafficking over there. And I just want to share with you about a couple who are doing a great work in Cambodia called David and Esther Allen. And David and Esther Allen are Elam missionaries, and um, I've invited them to come over. Well, we as a church have invited them in June to come over to share their heart with us and to share their vision and I hope as a church this is something that we can support and get involved in. I know that many of you have given to this project already and are interested in it. So we can just continue in this way. So I'd like to just um, share with you a bit about what's going on in Cambodia. I'm not going to take much more time, but there's one little clip I want to show you. And the woman that is speaking in this clip is Esther Allen. Uh, she's, um, she's the missionary in Cambodia, and, and she's the one speaking to us. And she's going to tell us a little story um, about... Uh, one of the girls in Cambodia. Are we okay, Tim, to show that video clip? That'd be great.
We first met Paul when we were out for a meal at there's a restaurant that we go to and this little girl, um, she is 10 years old but to look at her you think she's about 7 and she approached our table with this heavy basket with bracelets, silk purses, scarves in it and straight away she just said, you want to buy something? And we're like, how do you speak English? Um, she said, I go to school. Um, and we just started, started a conversation because we would see a lot of children like Pawn who walk the streets selling bracelets and scarves and, and we don't buy from children because we know they are forced to do this. Um, but with Pawn, we, we felt it was different. Um, she literally pays for herself to go to school through selling um, some purses and bracelets. Um, and that night we just started a conversation with her, just got to know her. Um, straight away we, we told her we were Christians and we said, you know, do you know Jesus? That Jesus loves you? And we said, please be careful when you're, when you're working because when we first saw her, it was maybe eight o'clock at night. And we just thought a child like this should be at home in bed sleeping. Um, and straight away she broke our heart. All the hearts who are content And all the feel unworthy And all who hurt with nothing left Will know that you are holy But one night she came into the restaurant and she just wasn't her usual chirpy, bubbly self. And when I asked her what it was, she just threw her arms around me and cried and said that her mum had been in an accident. We tried to go and visit her that night, but we weren't allowed in. So the next day her mum had got home and Pawn had said, come to my home and meet my mum. Nothing could prepare us for what we've seen. in the morning and we walked into this building and there was a flight of cement steps that we went up onto the first floor and on our right hand side is a, a toilet there was rubbish um, the ground was wet we weren't sure what we were walking through there's lots of little um, rooms that the doors were open um, tiny rooms that families are in we then were, taught, were brought to Palm's house and we had to climb two steps of a ladder, very, very unstable, into this tiny room that's lined with cardboard and this is where they live. took us down um, to the room that the rest of their family live in and we walked down uh, an alleyway and on the left hand side it's a huge open space that's just rubbish. There's sewers, there's, there's, there's water, um, up above us we could hear bats and we were taken down to a bigger room where the rest of the family live 
and it's just dark, um, dirty. There's a small area that they would say is their kitchen with a, a pot that has the charcoal in that they cook. Um, there's a bucket that they also would use for their toilet. Um, it's just, we were stunned. The initial visit when I first came home to my own home, um, that whole afternoon I just wept. And I knew that if it broke my heart, how much more does it break God's heart? She's um, a normal child in that she loves to play. She loves to colour in, draw, write, um, play with dolls, go to the park. She loves to do what normal children, what everyday children should do. It's very dangerous for Pawn to be out um, at night selling her bracelets. Children are taken all the time. Um, there are predators who are watching, watching children like Pawn, um, who don't have any adults with them to protect them. They're watching and they're waiting for an opportune time to, to take children, use them for sex, to traffic them either in Cambodia or take them outside of Cambodia, to have them locked up in brothels, um, to have them drugged. If we don't step in and prevent children like Pawn being trafficked, being taken, the playgrounds of Cambodia will be empty. little video to watch but um, that was Esther and David and Esther are doing a great work and um, although it's a, a massive situation in Cambodia and it's kind of sometimes you look at these things and, and it's you think oh what can I do how can earth can I help um, but there are many organizations working um, out there and I think it's it's amazing in one of the areas with the most um, notorious for the brothel brothels in that area there's the, the largest building in that area is, is called the sanctuary and it's a church and it's a clinic and it's a school um, and there's hope in that area for one of the organizations so i just want to share quickly um, um, about david and esther and just to show you who they are and um, what they're doing in cambodia and how we can be a part of that as well and part of even though we're here and we're not there we can still be a part of their vision so here they are. This is a church that they've set up. Now, David passes this, but with a Cambodian guy as well. I, I'm not sure of his name, but um, just like our church, really, in the sense of the same sort of worship set up. 
Um, this was the, a while ago, they um, held baptisms for the people whose lives are getting transformed and coming to know Christ, which is obviously the most amazing thing. Um, and um, so they're doing a great work there to have set up a church. And what's really fantastic is it's just David and Esther, but the, they're raising and training up um, Cambodians to do to do the work and, and to be a part of that so that when they leave, it's not just all going to fall, fall through. Um, they set up an early learning centre, the children in the early learning centre, and these are the staff. So there's approximately 50 children, 14 staff members, and uh, the staff members themselves have been rescued from horrendous situations, and they've been uh, rehabilitated and they're now working in that centre and they're getting a, they're getting a fair wage and, and they're um, being able to live good uh, lives in this place. Um, and then they recently got this house, and um, this is going to be used for the church, but also at the top floor, they're making a craft centre for the women who have been involved in trafficking and then have been rescued, so that they can have a craft and they can be able you know, to do things that they will then be able to sell and make money for. So they really chuffed to have gotten this, uh, this place, which they can use to its fullest. And then there's loads of other stuff they're doing on top of the, the centre, the church, the Freedom Project. They're doing men's ministries, ladies' ministries, education, they're teaching English and all sorts of other things. Doing sports clubs, youth work, village ministry. You know, they're working with people who are coming from the slum areas. So they're doing amazing things out there. And I um, have spoken to Davy and Esther quite a bit recently just because um, I wanted them to, to come over and speak, but I also wanted us to be a part of their vision as well because... The Freedom Project, when, I, when we announced it a while ago, and I think it was, I think Dave, you were one of the first people that came, and, and Emily maybe with the idea, and Amanda of, of getting involved in this project. Um, when I gave it to the church, people were really keen to be involved in that, and I know that your heart is, is for them as well. So what can we do? Well, there's simple things that we can do. We can pray, can't we, continually for the victims, for the missionaries, for Elam missions, and for the people who are doing these things. Um, because... They, their lives need transformation. They need God um, for the people who are doing the trafficking. We can find out more, and there are various ways. That's why I've given you those little things today on your seat, because they've got the Elam Missions website. Davey and Esther have a blog that you can follow um, and just keep up to date with what's going on there. That's really easy. If you go to the website, you can find that as well. We can raise awareness and let people know about this issue and we can give, and we can donate through the website, or you can set up a direct debit. And if you wanted to do that, you could come and see me. I could help you um, do that if that was something that you wanted to do. And lastly, and this is my exciting thing, we can go. And um, next year in August, um, I am organising a trip to go out to Cambodia, and we can go and work with David and Esther and um, really have a look at what they're doing and just have an amazing time working with the women and children in that place. And I know that I've spoken to a couple of people already and they're dead keen to go and uh, they want to be a part of that. And I put there as exciting times just in case you weren't getting excited and I needed to tell you. Um, it is exciting that we can be a part of that. And even if you don't go, um, David and Esther have set for us a challenge as a church to raise £5,000 to help build the outdoor area for the children, to pave the area and to set up a play area. And so I said to them, yeah, no problems. I know the Delancey folk will be fine. We'll sort it. So our challenge is to raise 5,000 and then to get that play area done so that when we go over in the summer as a team of us from this church, we can go and open that up and see the benefits of that place. So 5,000 pounds 
is our target for the next year to try and raise for Cambodia. And it may well be that some of you after this service write me a cheque for 5000 that'd be great. <laughs> it may well be that some of you after this service say, I want to do something, how can I get involved? And there is a group of us that are planning to do more fundraising events and, and just um, think about the strategy forward for how we can raise this money and be a part of that. And um, one of the ways is the mission globes that, you know, um, you collect faithfully. And over the next couple of weeks, actually, if you want to bring your mission globes in, we're going to start, we'll count up the next lot. I know some of you have been saying to Debbie, my globe, mission globe's got very heavy and it's filled with money. Um, so that's something else. But, you know, it's exciting for us as a church to think that, yes, we have a calling from God to be part of standing up for injustice, inequality, defending the vulnerable and we can do this we can be a part of that we can play our part and supporting David and Esther who are um, just such a fantastic lovely couple um, I've met them several times now and they're great they really are and they've got such a heart for Cambodia and so I really want us to journey with them Micah 6 8 says and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God that's our calling isn't it I'm going to invite the worship group to come back. Um, we're going to sing a final song. And, and as we sing and as we worship God, let's just take all that we've heard today and everything in our hearts and think about what it is that God is asking us to do or be. No, we can't change the world for everyone, but we can change the world for one person. And there may even be people in your immediate situation, your neighbours, your friends, that need justice. You know, one of the great things about this church that I, when I came and I walked into was that you already had set up was the Lord's Larder. And um, that's an amazing way, isn't it, to show God, to reveal God to people. I've put some stuff up there, you know, if you're still if, thinking about what is the Lord's Larder, you can go and have a look about bringing stuff in. It doesn't, doesn't cost us anything to throw a packet of biscuits into our trolley as we shop or some juice or some tea bags or whatever. I don't even notice it myself. Um, practical ways... So as we worship God, let's think, what is it? What is it that we can do? What can we be for God? Because he requires us to do justice, to do justice through merciful love, unconditional grace and compassion, and to walk humbly with God. Amen. Thank you. Let's stand. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delance Healing Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk